welcome to episode 181 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to retype your resume into a job application that already made you upload your resume. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about the perfect game collection. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Kites, Agent Decker, and Descent Legends of the Dark. Then, we talk about the factors that go into making your perfect game collection. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that the thing that we've been mentioning kind of offhandedly for the past couple of episodes has finally happened. It has happened, y'all. The Golden Geek nominations are now open. So (laughs) if you are a user of the website BoardGameGeek.com, please head over there and nominate all your favorite board games and board game podcasts from last year. Right now, they're looking for games and podcasts to be nominated, and then later there will be voting... For the winners. So right now we are just trying to get nominated. That's really all we're looking for, just a nomination. So if you like the show and the content that we're making, we would really appreciate it if you headed over there. We will have a link in the show notes for the page that you need to go to to do that. And obviously, you know, please take a look at all of the options available and vote for all of your favorites because yeah, that's a great way to spread the love. Yeah. And you can vote for up to 10. Yes. You can vote for up to 10 Mm -hmm. and voting is open through Sunday, April 23rd. So depending on when you you're listening to this hopefully you still have some time yep i'm going to talk about two games in the recently played section today two oh to. my gosh what <laughs> madness what is happening <laughs> but first recently i played kites which i mentioned in the last two episodes <laughs> but kites is a real-time cooperative game published in 2022 designed by kevin hamino and published by floodgate games so we bought this at dice tower west and played it at two players but then played it again at five or six players recently so i wanted to say that it is more difficult and interesting at higher players so <laughs> kites is a real-time cooperative game where you're playing cards that have different colors on them and there's these different colored sand timers six different colors rainbow colored the red one is the fastest and the purple one is the slowest and then there's a white one that's in the middle but like the white one is like its own color (laughs) so you're playing cards that have the different colors and when you play a card you have to flip over that sand timer and you don't want any of them to run out so like you play a red card you have to flip the red sand timer if you play one that has red and orange then you have to flip both of those sand timers but because of the way sand timers flip if you flip one and then they'll flip it again right away then you're going to run out sooner right so you want to make sure you flip when it's almost going to run out instead of right when you've already flipped it. And then when you play a card that only has one color, you can choose to flip the white timer instead. So that's the only way you can flip the white timer. And you're trying to play all your cards before sand timers run out. There's also like extra challenge cards that you can add to make the game more challenging, which we did. We added some of them, but like there's ones that make you so you can't talk until your next turn or like ones that make you have to pass cards between players. And then there's one where you have to flip all of the sand timers (laughs) when you play it. So I love real-time cooperative games and it's hectic and stuff, but like when I played two players, it was very easy because you're just getting back to your turn really quickly. So like you can plan it out a lot easier and th- it's less likely that you won't have a card to flip. But like when you play with more players and like you have fewer cards each and like a lot of people didn't have like purple or something and then it's about to run out. <laughs> and so like, like everyone's like, I don't have, I don't have it. <laughs> like I can't flip it. And so you have to get all the way around to the person who has it. So that uh, that's harder. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more at what we played at I think five players. So it plays two to six players. I recommend it at higher player counts. So So I have a question for you about this one. I demoed it a couple years ago when it was still in like prototype form from Floodgate, but I do not remember why is it called Kites? 
For the record, I'm not judging. You know, we you gotta you gotta put a name and a theme on the box. Uh, so no no judgment whatsoever. But I just don't like obviously flipping over hourglasses and playing cards to me doesn't immediately evoke kites. So is there a connection there that I'm not remembering or missing? So like all the art has kites on it, and I guess the hourglasses represent the kites, and you're trying to keep them in the air. That's what it, um, uh, the theme is. Okay. So. Okay. But yeah, like while you're playing, you're not really thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And again, but. no judgment. Like I, I like plenty of games where the theme is like, yeah, it's not really there, but it kind of is. So yeah. Yeah. I think in like quick card games like that, it's very hard to have the theme feel like it's there. <laughs> but I mean, right. keeping a kite in the air can also be very stressful, yeah. just like mm-hmm. flipping a sand timer. So at least it's kind of evocative of the feeling of a thing. Yeah. And if you're trying to keep six kites in the air, that's probably kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, that does not sound like a fun time at all unless you're you know friends with mary poppins and then maybe (laughs) yeah but that was kites and then the other game i wanted to talk about is agent decker which is a solo game designed by manuel correa it was made in 2015 so agent decker is available for free to print and play it was also published and re-implemented by various publishers and stuff but like it's still available as a free print and play and that's what i played so you can print out the cards it's a card game it has 54 cards that you print out which is like the same as a standard deck of cards 50 plus the joker stuff (laughs) but it's the same number of cards so in agent decker it's a mission-based deck building game it's solo so like you're a spy that's like going on their first mission and i played three different times but like it's a scenario campaign game and so like each campaign i i count it as a game because there's like five missions and each mission is like 10 minutes maybe or something but the way it works is you have cards that have different currencies there's stealth or fight and so you play those in order to attack these cards that are in a row and that like represents what you're trying to get by like guard dogs and guards and stuff like a guard dog you have to get five fight to interact with that one or like the camera you only need two stealth to like interact with that and when you interact with the card you can either flip it over or gain it into your deck and then like you're you get more powerful cards as you get cards but like each turn the row of cards that's on the table you're basically going through it so the last card is gonna get discarded and that increases the alarm so each card has like a different alarm that increases and you don't want to get your alarm up to 50 or you lose so when you flip over a card that doesn't increase the alarm when you discard it so like you're trying to decide whether you want to flip over a card to like not die or get it into your deck to make your deck better so that you can do better later and each mission has a different goal so like the first mission you're trying to get five stealth i think or six stealth and then the second mission you're trying to get six fight or something in one turn so the different goals make it so that you want to gain different cards into your deck but like you keep it after each mission and so if you do too well on the first mission then your deck will not be good for the second mission (laughs) so you're like planning ahead and so i thought that was really interesting the first few games like I had really bad first hands so like you couldn't get anything which was kind of frustrating but I guess you can just like start over since it's a solo game but like after you play through like I, I thought that was really interesting like trying to decide whether you're getting a card or flipping it over so that you won't die like so it'll help prolong your game so yeah that was Agent Decker it was a really fun solo print and play game and I'm gonna have to play more and add more to my list because I already have a video of like five great print and play games and so I'm gonna have more to add to those videos <laughs> hooray for for more great print and plays. <laughs> yeah. Free print and plays. Free. I mean, that's really like, what a delight, right? Mm-hmm. Like the there are designers out there putting out these games for free 
that all you really need yeah. is a printer to be able to print them off and play them. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty neat and might actually factor into our thematic segment in a little while. <laughs> oh yeah. For my recently played game, it's actually a game that I've been playing now for a few months, maybe even longer. I have finally been diving into Descent Legends of the Dark, which I guess mm. Fantasy Flight has said technically is not Descent 3rd Edition. I've been referring to oh. it as Descent 3rd Edition, <laughs> but I, it, it I guess I guess they kind of I mean for all intents and purposes, it sure seems like it is. So if I refer to it as Descent 3rd Edition, just know that I mean Descent Legends in the Dark. Legends of the Dark, sorry. So to give you some background, when I, oh gosh, probably 12, 13 years ago-ish, I was actually playing Descent 1st Edition with some friends here in Vegas. And while I really enjoyed playing Descent, it was frustrating because one person had to be, you you know, in charge of all the bad guys, and they got to do some really cool stuff, but it was very, very difficult for all the other players. And I don't think we ever won a single scenario. I mean, oh, admittedly, really? wow. we didn't play we didn't play through a ton of scenarios, maybe like a handful, but it was a really difficult game, more so than I think most games of that nature should be. And so while we would have a good time, we basically went into every scenario knowing, okay, we're gonna die, but let's see how far we can go. And I never played Descent Second edition, but I did play Star Wars Imperial Assault, which basically kind of was built off of the same Mm -hmm. system as Descent. So I feel like that kind of gave me like the second edition experience a little bit, but Star Wars themed. And now I own Descent Legends of the Dark, which is kind of the newest version. You have to use an app with it, which I know some people are not keen on, but I don't mind. I've played through now, we haven't finished the campaign, but we've played through quite a few scenarios. And as far as these types of games go from Fantasy Flight. This one is by far the most impressive. It is so much fun and really it's clear that they put a lot of thought and care into the world building and the ways in which you can develop and build your characters over time. So what's neat about this game is you do not have to play with the same group of players every session. You can play with anywhere from one to four people, one to four heroes, and that can change between sessions. The app will prompt you to say which heroes you're playing with, and then it will also, you're gaining items throughout the course of the campaign, and the app keeps track of that stuff too. It knows what's in your inventory, what items you have on hand, what weapons you've acquired, what upgrades you've made to those weapons, things like that. The app handles all of that heavy lifting for you. Now, you do have cards, obviously, in front of you for a lot of the items as references, and so you know what you have at a quick glance, but it's really nice when you put the game away to get it back out and be like, okay, wait, what was this thing again? Who had that? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and the app kind of helps with a lot of that stuff. And there are story beat choices throughout the campaign that each of the characters have to make. And those theoretically will lead to things later on down the road in the campaign that may affect how the story ends. The story itself so far is not the most amazing story that I've seen in a board game. It's, I'd say, fairly generic fantasy. It is set in the world of Terranoth, which is a world that I love playing in because it is the same world that Runebound and Legacy of Dragonholt are set in. So I love Terranoth, but you know, it is generic fantasy. And in this one specifically, this is not a spoiler because you learn this literally from scenario one, but you know, there's the Uthuk are pl- 
plaguing the land and, you know, doing a bunch of havoc. And there's this one lady that's in charge of them and she's doing bad things. And it's just like, okay, yeah, that's kind of, you know, par for the course, but that's fine. Not bothersome. The terrain that comes with the game, there's 3D pieces that you put together when you first get the game. And they make the maps that you build out over the course of each scenario look really, really cool. Like you've got multi-level maps with stairs and pillars and archways and trees and wells and barrels and treasure chests. And it's all three-dimensional cardboard pieces that look really neat. It's got great table presence. And I'm not a miniatures game player, so I don't play a lot of games that have that kind of like neat physical presence. And so for me, it's a really neat thing to do because I don't play a lot of games that do something similar. So I like that part of it. It also has a really cool system that is improved upon from past to Descent games where one of the mechanisms that has always existed in Descent is fatigue. And that's kind of like exertion, basically, or how you can trigger some special abilities at some times. And fatigue used to be a very difficult thing to manage. And it's still difficult, but there's better ways to manage it in this game because you put fatigue onto cards in front of you, either your player card or your items. And then you have the ability to flip cards at certain times. And when you flip a card, all of the tokens on it go away with some limited exceptions. So that includes all the fatigue on it. So you can pile up a whole bunch of fatigue on a like specific card and then trigger it to flip and get rid of all that fatigue. So it makes it a little less punishing than previous iterations of Descent have been. Basically, if you are a person that likes cooperative, adventure, dungeon crawl type games, and you do not mind app integration, because again, the app is necessary, this is one that I think you really might enjoy. The price point is high for this game, but it is a lot of game in the box. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is combat is also really smooth because it's also handled by the app. So you have all the enemies on the board, but the app shows each enemy on the screen. And when a player goes to attack them, you click on them, you drag the character that's attacking them to them, and then you can apply status effects to the enemy in real time in the app. And it'll calculate how much damage you do based on what weapon you're using, you know, the hero and what status effects are on both parties, basically. So it does all of the work for you. There's no math. And if you're like, wait, how did it calculate that? There's a little button you can click. It'll show you exactly how it calculated it. So if you're one of those people that's like, I don't know, does that seem right? Like you can click and see too. I really, really, really am enjoying playing through this campaign. It's been competing with Artisans of Splendent Vale for me because I'm playing through that still too and loving it. So I've got two big campaign games that I'm in the midst of at the moment and just jumping back and forth between them. But I waited a little while to talk about this one just because I wanted to get a few sessions under my belt. But I can now, I would say, pretty reasonably say that I'm I'm really enjoying it and would recommend it to people who like this style of game. I played Descent 2nd Edition back in the day. And like I think there were about even wins and losses. Um, I was the overlord. Okay. But I ended up winning the campaign. So that's what matters. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I want to play this one. But once again, campaign games, is hard for me to get played. And also the box is huge, which might fit into oh, yeah. a discussion later today as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is not a small box by any means. It is very, very large. Honestly, it and Return to Dark Tower, I think, are mm-hmm. very similar sized boxes. They both go oh. on top of my Calax. <laughs> they do not go into the shelves because I don't think they would fit. <laughs> Ambie, is there such a thing as a perfect game collection? Nope. 
All right. That's <laughs> okay. It. End of discussion. <laughs> Boom. We're done. No. <laughs> so I want to preface this by saying that there are a lot of factors that go into the purchasing, acquiring, collecting, storing, you know, all the things that go into having board games. And so we thought it might be interesting to discuss what all of those factors are and how you can consider them going forward if you are trying to build the perfect game collection for you. Because there is no such thing as a perfect game collection. And you should not be comparing your game collection against other people's necessarily because you do not necessarily know all the factors going on in their <laughs> life. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make your collection perfect for you. What does that mean? Well, let's get into it. Yeah. So for me, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> it's, it's harder, right? Because now you've got kids. Yeah. So like, yeah. it's not just about you and Toby playing games together. There's there's more yeah. factors at play. Yeah. But it always wasn't just about us playing games together too, because we have friends that we would play games with. Like sometimes we would see a game like, oh, this would be great to play with this person. And it's like, okay, we'll get this game, play with these people. We have different groups of people that we play games with. And so we have all these games for those different groups of people that we play with. So yeah, we liked having different types of games. So we would have like games that are easy to play with people who don't usually play games, like our friends who don't usually play games. And then we have the games that we play with people who do play games. And then we have 18xx games. <laughs> so just like a wide range of games. So we used to have like 100 games back a while ago. I, I used to say that we, we had a collection, like keep it down to 100 games. But now we have like 200 something, almost 300 now. And they don't fit in our shelves anymore. So yeah, the shel shelving space is also a thing. <laughs> oh, I mean, and not just shelving, but just space in general, right? Obviously, mm, yeah. the size of your residence has to be a factor. It has to, because if you yeah. live in a one-bedroom apartment or a four-bedroom house, mm -hmm. the amount of space that you have to store <laughs> board games will change pretty dramatically. And so, obviously, space has to be a consideration. And not just, like, mm -hmm. the square footage, but, like, do you have a place where you can put those games and keep them? Because I know, if, depending on where you live, you can't necessarily like store them in the garage for instance i've heard tales of horror from people who live in like humid areas or areas mm -hmm. that can flood who stored games in their garage and they got ruined basically from humidity yeah. or from flooding things like that so there are certain things in your life that you can kind of just throw anywhere and they're fine it doesn't matter but with board games they're a little bit more delicate than other things. And so you kind of actually have to be a little more thoughtful about how you store them at times. Although I'll admit, I sometimes just have them in giant piles and I'm looking at it and I'm like, that can't be good for the game on the bottom of that pile. Like that really just can't be healthy for him. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of our games on the floor now because we ran out of space on the shelf. Our friend actually stores his 18xx games under his bed, I think. So like he has his normal game shelf and stuff, but then all the 18xx games are under the bed. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and creative storage solutions are probably necessary in a lot of mm -hmm. situations. But I will say for me, I'm sure there are other people like me out there, but probably not everyone. Since I have ADHD, so there's something called object impermanence. Basically, mm -hmm. if I can't see something, oh. it kind mm -hmm. of doesn't exist. <laughs> so for me, even with board games that I know and love really well, like let's say I have it, it's like slipped behind another game on my shelf mm. or I put something else in front of it or covered it up on, like it's almost like that game doesn't exist anymore. I'll kind of forget about it until I uncover it. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, like it's, I know I own that game, but my brain has forgotten about it temporarily. And so I personally want to be able to see as many of my games as possible for mm. that reason. 
reason. I don't want to forget that I have those games. I want to be able to play them. Admittedly, my collection at this point, I don't know how many it is. I want to say it's in the 500s, I think. But yeah, I have two five by five Calaxes. So five squares by five squares. For those of you not familiar, a Calax is a style of shelving from Ikea that is popular with many board gamers. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it, but just in case I wanted to clarify. And they come in like lots of different sizes and the largest size you can get is a five by five grid. And I have two of those. They are full and there are games on the floor. So (laughs) I'm at like my house is large enough to hold more than that. But the room that my games are in is not large enough to hold more than that. At least not comfortably. So I am going to have to potentially either move my game room or split up my game collection. And that Mm -hmm. is, again, because of the object impermanence thing, not something I'm really keen to do. So we'll see how that goes eventually. Yeah, for me, I have three four by twos, I think, and then one one by four. So I have like the or one of the two by fours and one by fours stacked up together. So it looks like a three by four because that dimension didn't exist. Or I don't know if it exists now, but that fits like perfectly in this bar mirror area in our game room. I think it used to be like a bar area because <laughs> it has that, one of those mirrors in the back. And then I nice. have two two by fours that are just standing on the side, but there's no more room for shelves in the game room. And then I have a bunch of games on the floor and on the table. And then I have some games in the studio where I film now so like the games are just out everywhere now it's kind of like a plague they spread yeah they do spread I ran out of room for children's games like they already have four shelves now four cubes for children's games and then there's extra on the floor and then I just bought a bunch (laughs) okay which admittedly is kind of my fault so my bad sorry for telling you about that sale because I honestly I didn't look at all of the Haba games that were part of that sale I just saw that there were some and so that was why I linked it to you but then I saw how many you ordered and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> there, were, there were 13 Hobbit games and I bought them all. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Okay, so obviously space is a big consideration, but there mm-hmm. are other factors at play. Money is obviously a yes. really big one, especially right now. We are in 2023. Inflation has been hitting. Prices of just about everything have gone up. Truthfully, I haven't seen a dramatic shift in the price of board games yet, at least not for me personally. But I also recognize that like a lot of board game publishers are operating off of fairly small small margins. And so Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if we saw the price of board games rise in the near Mm -hmm. future. And even with that aside, board games are not a cheap hobby to get into, especially if you are looking to collect and build your own collection. There's a whole lot of issues that we could discuss in regard to that and the availability of gaming and the societal groups in which gaming is more available to than others as a result of the price of games. But It's interesting because the price, if you break it down, ends up being cheaper than other forms of entertainment, but it's just a higher upfront cost. So like, let's say you have a family of four and you want to entertain them for an evening and you go to the movies. At this point, going to the movies, you get four movie tickets. Let's say they're $10 a pop. I know that that can vary less or more depending Mm -hmm. on where you're at, but we'll just say 10. So that's 40 bucks right there. And that's without popcorn and sodas, which you know, you know know you're gonna get a bucket of popcorn like you can't go to the movies and not get popcorn like really like and you're gonna get a drink or two so like you're talking about 50 60 bucks probably by the time you're out of the movie theater and that 
right there is the cost of, I would say, most popular hobby board games is around like $50, $60. And the movie, you only get to see that once. You only get to eat that popcorn once. And the board game is going to sit there and you're going to play that theoretically a bunch of times. So why do you have any inkling about as to why like it feels like board games are a more expensive hobby to get into as far as like the entertainment part of it? Well, I don't actually think it's that expensive of a hobby. It doesn't have to be. Like, I mean, I never went to the movies as a, I didn't go to the movies much as a kid because that's expensive. We could buy VHS tapes or rent them. So that like buying a, a movie is more like having a board game, right? Because you can watch that's it true. multiple times at home with as many people as you want. So I guess like buying one movie is cheaper than buying one board game. But we also like yep. had board games. And depending on how you get them, they can be cheaper. Like sometimes you can find them at thrift stores. You can <laughs> have free print and play ones, as we mentioned. Um, but like, yeah, some of them are more expensive, like the ones that are big miniature games, campaign games and stuff like the big Kickstarter games can be very expensive. But like just a basic collection of board games that you play over and over again, like a code names or something that's relatively cheaper, I think. So that's true. It depends on how you do the hobby. <laughs> I think with any hobby, like, yes, <laughs> for me, it's hard to, I think, look at the, the details. Like I'm kind of my brain wants to look at the big picture, right? And like mm -hmm. the cost of a game collection is very expensive, but you don't well, have to it, own a yeah, lot of a games to have a game yeah. collection. Like a collection could be like five games. Really, it so. could. I mean, that for, I would say most people in the world, less than 20 games, you would be good for a long time. Like I know families who have like a couple yeah. of games and that's what they always mm -hmm. play. And they're perfectly yeah. happy with that. I think those of us who have gotten deeper into the hobby often like to try new games, which then makes mm -hmm. that, you know, a little more difficult because you can't just keep playing the same game over and over, but you could, you could just play the same yeah. game over and over. And a lot <laughs> of people do that. I know recently when Klaus Teuber passed away, you know, a lot of people were sharing their love of Catan and what it has done for the hobby. To this day, there are still people who are discovering Catan and mm -hmm. it is still being a gateway into board games as a whole for a lot of people. Again, those of us in the hobby who have been playing hobby board games for a long time, a lot of us have kind of moved away from Catan. Like I have played Catan, but I haven't played it in a really long time. But you can't deny that Catan did amazing things for the hobby. And mm -hmm. so if you're like looking to start a collection, like that might not be a bad one to put in there because it obviously has this universal appeal that tends to, you know, kind of grab people and bring them in. And I still know people who really love Catan and play it a lot. So yeah, it's it, I mean, I mean, absolutely. Let's talk about then the availability of other players, right? Like this was inter this was a big topic of discussion during the pandemic, especially for you and mm -hmm. I and a whole lot of other people because, well, all of a sudden our weekly game groups that we had been meeting up with kind of disappeared for a while. And so... Mm -hmm. Truthfully, my board game collection didn't get played for quite a while. And obviously the pandemic is a very unique situation, which hopefully <laughs> is not going to happen again anytime soon, at least not in the same capacity that it did before. But, you know, if you live in a rural area where there aren't a lot of other gamers, then if you buy Twilight Imperium, you're probably not going to be playing a full <laughs> game with a full player count of that almost ever, right? Like you would have 
have to reach out to people and make a very dedicated effort to bring people in for something like that. Whereas if you live with five roommates who all like space games, then Twilight Imperium would probably be a lot easier to get to the table. So I think when you're building your game collection, the consideration of how many players you're likely to have available to play games on a regular basis mm. should be a factor as well. Like if you and your spouse love to play games together by yourselves, then you should look at games that play two players or play best at two players or play yeah. well at two players. And like, I think for me, I've kind of tried to do that. Like I like having games that play well at two, but also play well at higher player counts um, mm -hmm. because I think that gives me more flexibility in my game collection, which I enjoy quite a bit. What about for you? I, as I mentioned before, like we play with lots of different groups of people. And so we liked having that. Like I like playing games with just Toby, but then we also like playing games with our kids now and then with our friend groups. And then we have like, if we ever get back into playing 18xx games, if we have the time for it. Um, so we have like different groups of friends that we play games with with our families too. And so we like having those options to play because especially with like our friends who don't play board games and our families, like we're the ones who have the board games. So we want to have those to play with them. So we want in our collection all those different types of games. We have children's games and family games and heavy strategy games and two-player games, and all these different types of games, which is probably why our collection is so large <laughs> and not just like 20 games. Right. I mean, you could probably build, I wonder actually what the like the smallest game collection that we could create that would accommodate the most types of situations, like mm -hmm. the most styles, player counts, playtime lengths that we could accommodate. Mm -hmm. I wonder how few games <laughs> we could put into a collection to accommodate as much of that as possible. That sounds like a fun challenge. Honestly, yeah. that sounds like it's, something it's the probably. Brothers Murph would do in a, in a YouTube video. <laughs> that does seem like something they do. <laughs> I should suggest that to them and see if they uh, can put that one together. Yeah, but we also like playing different games. I mean, we do sometimes like playing the same game over and over again, but we also like playing different different games too. So we don't want to just have the smallest possible collection size. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll admit I'm very, very, very lucky because one of my good friends here in Vegas who also mm -hmm. listens to the podcast, hi Greg, he mm -hmm. has a board game collection that is much larger than mine. I won't say the number because <laughs> it's large, but basically if I want to play a game, I can almost certainly bet that Greg has it. So, <laughs> and that that's nice. Like to, I basically have my own body that like has his own game library of sorts. Mm -hmm. So I'm really lucky in that regard, especially if I want to try a game that I think I might love before I buy it. Like he brought over The Great Split from last year, which I really, really loved. And honestly, I don't know if it was even on my radar before he brought it over. And then he brought it over and I was like, oh, I need to own this. <laughs> so even though he has it, like there are certain games that I'm like, this is a game that I should have also. Because I do, I do like to own the games that I love to some degree. I don't always just want to play my friends' games or rely on them to bring games that I like over. And I like to be able to share those games with other people too. So, you know, I'm often the person that's bringing games to friend meetups, family gatherings, and all of that stuff. Like inevitably, everyone expects me to bring one of those canvas <laughs> yeah. bags with games in it to basically any
any event where there is a group of people gathering. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever at this point, I don't expect to get them played. I just bring them with me just in case. Because if I don't <laughs> bring games and someone wants to play a game, I would be like heartbroken. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, we also have like friends in our game groups that have lots of games and they bring them to play too. But also since we host most of the time now, like having a collection is nice so that people don't have to bring games if they don't want to bring them. <laughs> but yeah, like they lot sometimes get new games and we get to try them and stuff. And so lots of times there's games that we don't need to buy because other people have them and we only play with them. But still, like for some reason, 18xx is excluded from that. Like everyone in the 18xx group has the same games <laughs> and has bought them. Like once we well, played 1817 and we like got together with like 10 people to play two games of 1817 and like everyone brought a copy. So we had like, <laughs> or maybe that, we had like seven copies of it there. <laughs> That's amazing. And this is like, that was like a rare game um, because this was before the mass printing of it. So it was probably like a high percentage of the amount of copies in existence were in that room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I would imagine like 18xx games, they uh, tend to be smaller print runs, right? Especially the ones that don't come to mass market and harder to get a hold Mm -hmm. of. So for people who love those games, I I would imagine regardless of if you know your friend is getting one, you don't want to miss out on the opportunity to also own it because and part of it who knows if it's supporting it a hundred percent absolutely yeah. okay so let's break it down here at the end mm-hmm. so the perfect game collection a <laughs> does not exist <laughs> b mm-hmm. is different for everybody mm-hmm. but factors should include how much space you have to store games and that includes mm-hmm. then how big the games that you're getting are and will t- how much space they'll take up how much disposable income you have available to spend on games how many players you'll have available to play those games and what access you have to games outside of your house that could help supplement your own collection. Mm-hmm. What other factors did we miss? Y'all let us know on social media or in our Discord channel. If you're not in the Blitz Discord, you should definitely join us because we have game nights every single week. Lots of fun, lots of lovely humans. Link to join the Discord is in the show notes. And if you haven't joined yet, I mean, come on, what are, like, we've had people join recently <laughs> who literally have been like listening to the podcast for years and they were like, wait, I literally just was like, wait they have a discord and they joined the discord and so i bet there's more of you out there who yeah. kind of spaced out during the outro no shade we get it like it's the outro but like really join our discord if you are a discord user come play games online with us it's fun yeah and it's online games so they don't have to be in your physical collection oh that's another yeah. factor yeah if is the game available to play online mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for more content and links. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Clans of Midgard is coming to crowdfunding soon. Explore more of the world of Midgard in this unique draft and write game where you fight as leaders of Viking clans seeking to gain glory. And don't forget, you can get 10% off any order at greyfoxgames.com, including promos, exclusives, and upgrades not available anywhere else by using the code BGBLITZ2023 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord for game nights, discussions, and more by following the link in the show notes. Support the show by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. And if you like us a lot and want to support us monetarily and get some cool perks, check out our Kofi at ko-fi.com slash boardgameblitz today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mark. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Until next time, here come my friends, do-do-do-do. They have some games and I say it's all right. Bye, everyone. Bye.